Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Tuesday, January the 22nd edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, the Senior Bowl is officially here. We're going to get you prepped and ready to watch for the key guys at the Dolphins' positions of need this whole week, plus a mini scouting tutorial. Also, Miami staff in the beginning processes of being finalized. We'll get you updated on all of that. Plus, we discuss how to get over a loss like the one the Saints endured on Sunday. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcast. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Give me a follow on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. There is an extended version of the Senior Bowl preview up there live right now, as well as plenty of other content from our entire staff of writers. And last but not least... The other Locked On Sports family of podcasts like the Locked On Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams in every single sport. And with that, let's go ahead and get things going. That's another Miami Dolphins. Patrick Graham is being finalized as the Dolphins defensive coordinator. As you guys know, he is the current linebackers coach and running game coordinator for the Green Bay Packers, or at least he was until this deal gets finalized. And we had some quotes on the podcast last week from Packers players talking about how much they were going to miss Graham and his overall impact on the defense. We don't need any inside sources for stuff like this. Just the idea of certain players sending out tweets like the Michael Scott gif where he says no for a long time. I think I saw a player tweet that about Patrick Graham and the loss sounds like it will really, really impact how the Packers feel on defense about their coaching staff and going forward without him. Will he work in Miami? I mean, who the hell knows? We're hopeful. We like this staff right now, but we've also liked plenty of other staffs in the past. And offensively, we still don't really have a lot of clarification on what's going to happen on that side of the ball, but we did get a tweet from Pro Football Talk claiming that Jim Caldwell will be the offensive coordinator, but they are the only ones on that story. I think it might have been a miss print or an oversight and I wouldn't make much sense of it after they announced him as the quarterback's coach and assistant head coach to Brian Flores and specifically said he was not going to be the offensive coordinator so we need to find out more about that as it develops this whole week and with Brian Flores working with the Patriots this week and next week we won't have anything finalized on that front for two weeks but the Dolphins are beginning their work on the coaching staff and should have some contracts done this week of course the same thing happened last year with the Indianapolis Colts and Josh McDaniels, but even then they were able to keep on Matt Eberflus who signed his contract prior to McDaniels and he turned out to be just as much of a home run as getting Frank Reich was for that organization and then again we have the article from Joe Shad according to sources that spoke to Joe Shad that there is a 0.0% chance of Flores bailing on this job so with that we move on to the senior bowl and I have that article right now up live on LockedOnDolphins.com it's titled Dolphins Senior Bowl Watch List you guys can check that out for an even more in-depth breakdown of what we can expect to see the next three days at 
at practice in Mobile, Alabama. I listed five major areas of need for the Dolphins and the players they could look to fill those spots with the prototypes and all the fun stuff that we've gotten to know about this team under Chris Greer. And let's start this thing off right here with the quarterbacks. Because I think pretty much everybody would universally agree that quarterback, whether it happens this year or next year, is the biggest need on this Dolphins roster. And maybe the Dolphins have the biggest vacancy at the quarterback position in the entire NFL when you consider that Ryan Tannehill is a likely candidate to be cut or moved on from this offseason. And we start with these five names. Personally, I don't love this class of quarterbacks, especially compared to last year's Senior Bowl crop that had Josh Allen and Baker Mayfield, Luke Falk, plenty of other guys in that group. But number one here is Daniel Jones, who I just don't get. I have some notes on him that I keep throughout the course of the college season from the quarterbacks. I see a guy with barely enough arm strength to compete at the NFL level. He has no escapability, no real plan for dealing with pressure or how to recognize it or get out of it. I guess his processing is supposed to be his strong suit, but frankly, I don't see that. He's not going to extend plays. He's not going to go off script and make things happen. He will chew up some yards with long speed, but doesn't have quickness or lateral agility. Actually runs a lot like Ryan Tannehill did throughout the course of his career in Miami. But to me, this guy has a long windup and elongated release. Unless he has an absolutely clean pocket to throw from, that release can get disrupted very easily and the timing can go thrown off very easily as well. Frankly, I see him as a day three project, whereas some have him as a top 10 pick in this draft. Just crazy how different things can be as far as opinions on the draft. So Daniel Jones, number one, the 6'5", 220 quarterback from Duke. He's the number one guy to watch, but for me, not much of a prospect at all. The number two guy I like a lot better, Drew Locke from Missouri, 6'4", 225. He has some of those big traits you love, like the huge, strong arm. He can drive the ball vertically and to the perimeter, but his accuracy is very up and down. You never really know what it's going to be. Doesn't always establish that firm platform and doesn't have the ability to make all the adjusted off-angle throws or off-platform throws from different arm angles that someone like Patrick Mahomes wants to do, even though Locke kind of wants to be in that same vein as far as getting out and making plays on the outside. His worst games came against the biggest opponents. He tend to shrink when the bigger the game got, like Georgia and Alabama which is a bit of a contradiction to the guy and what he is as a swagger and type of confident player that he is. He really presents himself in that confidence and it doesn't always show up on game day. So for me, I wouldn't even consider him in the first round. I would start thinking about him in the second round. Though I do think stuff like this, the combine, pro day, all that stuff can push his value up because the less he has to play in in in-game positions or situations, the more he can thrive with that big arm. So Drew Locke right there, second round value to me. Third quarterback on this list, another guy I'm not high on that other folks are, the 6'2", 223-pound quarterback from West Virginia, Will Greer. He plays in a wide-open scheme out there. Again, the arm is just not there. He can't drive the ball down the field. It will flutter when he tries to go vertical. It will flutter when he tries to push it to the field side 15 yards on the comeback or the out route. Just cannot do it. He is a gamer. He is a bit of an anticipatory thrower. He's going to have to really impress on the whiteboard to make up for the lack of physical traits that he has. Again, another guy that I wouldn't even consider in the first two rounds of the draft, maybe round three, preferably round four, but the Dolphins will certainly have an eye on Will Greer all week. And then these next two guys are more developmental prospects. Tyree Jackson, six foot seven, 245 pounds from Buffalo, has the big physical traits. He's not super fast or explosive, but he can make plays with his legs, has the big, big, big arm. His accuracy is inconsistent as his mechanics go, but the traits and the build of this guy will intrigue plenty of teams. I, sh- I am very 
sure that he will get lots of looks and lots of love, and he will also blow up some of these types of competitions to help elevate his name. For me, a day three option for the Dolphins. And fifth and last on this list for me, another day three option is from Washington State, go Cougs, Gardner Minshew, the 6'2", 220-pound guy that really elevated this Cougars team from what was supposed to be a sixth-place finish in the Pac-12 and took them all the way to the Apple Cup with a chance to win that game and get into the conference championship. That was all because of Gardner Minshew. He has elite-level leadership skills, high-level processing, and a gamer mentality that really hid some of the shortcomings in his game, like, once again, the lack of a big arm or the poor decision-making that he was prone to making a little bit too often out here on the Palouse at Washington State University. So Minshew, a day-three project... But in this game on Saturday and the practices all week, there are going to be plenty of quarterbacks to keep an eye on, so make sure you have that. And what you really want to see here is how the ball jumps out of their hand, but even more so the ability to show the hard wiring of the eyes and the feet working in relationship with one another. That was the big thing for Baker Mayfield last year, the way he was able to whip through progressions and get the football out quick, and that also marries up with the good arm talent and good release. So keep an eye on those things while watching the quarterbacks. Again, this class a little bit lackluster, but these guys will all be playing on Sundays or at least get drafted in April, and I assume the Dolphins will probably pluck one of them. Who knows? It depends on what happens at the top of the draft as the top two guys in this draft will not compete this week at the Senior Bowl. Dwayne Haskins and Kyler Murray, both underclassmen, so we don't get to see them, but we do get to see these five, as well as plenty of other players at other positions. And next here on the podcast, we are going to preview the Dolphins' other positions of needs and guys they can keep an eye on at the Senior Bowl this week down in Mobile, Alabama. We'll do all of that next here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. Senior Bowl practices starting up today, maybe even going on while you're listening to this podcast. I cannot wait. I've got them all queued up on the DVR and we'll be flying through those with a notepad in hand. We talked about the lackluster group of quarterbacks in that first segment. Let's go ahead and turn things over here very quickly to the Dolphins' second biggest need in this draft. It is, of course, the edge, which is a bit ambiguous in nature because of the defense that Brian Flores is going to run. You're not going to have the traditional look of a defensive end and an outside linebacker. Some of these guys are going to mesh together in this defense as it's so multiple and so veritable that we're not going to really be able to identify one specific guy and put him in a specific position. Guys are going to be asked to move all over this defense and fill out sub package roles and play a role compared to being actually counted on down in and down out unless you go get a Trey Flowers or even the middle linebacker like Rayquad McMillan. Some of these guys are going to play a lot, but a lot of these guys are going to play some as well. And that starts right here off the top. And I have it as linebackers, which in this scheme, I think he would be. But Jalen Jelks out of Oregon, he is six foot five, 245 pounds. And before you start getting worried about the relationship there to Deion Jordan, drafting an edge player from Oregon, I understand the pause on that. But this guy... Also a bit wiry in the way that Deion Jordan was. We thought he would bulk up more in his as his career went on. He did not really do that. But Jelks is more thin-framed and a guy that can really play with his hair on fire, can play with great speed. He can get into the backfield immediately with good slants and different techniques to beat the pass rush that way. He has great length and fluidity and the instincts to win individually, but also to play within the framework of the defense. I think he could be a great conversion to an on-ball line of scrimmage defender like an outside linebacker. I just think that he might get a little bit washed out in the run game when doubled, but he can set the edge against one-man blocking schemes and can handle that. 
and they can find a way to protect his weaknesses in this scheme where linebackers typically get kept pretty clean. The number two guy at that spot, Jermaine Pratt out of North Carolina State. He is 6'3", 245, again, in that same weight range off that edge. He has great speed and coverage skills as he was a conversion player from safety down to interior linebacker at the NFL level. He'll probably play on the outside with that great range and instincts in the passing game. And he added some weight to his frame in college to play into that front seven, but he is still very fast, but he can also still get overpowered. If he wants to play true edge linebacker in the scheme. He's going to have to get stronger at the point of attack. His work in both zone and man coverage could help Miami's pass defense immediately and immensely. So Jermaine Pratt, North Carolina State. Number three from Stanford, another 6'3 guy. This one goes 234. Bobby Okariki. Miami has been getting exposed by backs and tight ends in the passing game for far, far, far too long. And Okariki covers a ton of ground in zone, but can also match up in man coverage as well. He's not much of a pass rusher by trade, but he will get cleanup sacks and plays in the backfield because of his hustle and high motor. He could be a sub-package dynamo at the next level, so Bobby Okariki, keep an eye on him. This next one, good luck pronouncing it, O'Shane Zeminez. He comes from Old Dominion. He is six foot three, two forty seven, and he is physically stout at the point of attack and can really anchor and defend the run better than most of his position mates that I've listed previously in this column. He's not going to line up one on one in coverage against the back and the tight end, but he can set the edge and be a strong run defense prospect for you. So trying to round this thing out with some versatility. O'Shane Zimenez. I think I got that right from Old Dominion. And then fifth here on the list, this is another guy that might be inside or outside linebacker. I kicked him out to the outside because of his size, but Otara Alaka from Texas A&M. He is 6'2", 240, best suited as a possible Sam linebacker. I think he draws entry from Miami's multiple linebacker packages. As we talked about on the podcast, they are going to run four linebacker packages often in this defense, and they're going to have to have plenty of guys that can do things both on the inside and the outside, helping shut down those rush lanes. He is a great tackler with a high motor, but offers very little by way of rush and coverage. So again, another sub package guy. Some of these positions, this one in particular, not that strong at the senior bowl. Most of these guys are underclassmen that are best in this draft class. If you're looking for an omission from a guy like Montez Sweat from Mississippi State, I just don't think they're going to look for guys that can play off that edge with their hand in the dirt. It's going to be more of a linebacker role, conversion roles. So it's very tough to figure out. And what you want to see with these guys when it comes to coverage is the ability to mirror the guy in front of them, squaring them up with their target to initiate that jam will dictate the entirety of the route and coverage. Watch how they stay in control and on balance when they initiate contact as it allows them to explode and cut down separation that has been created once the pass catcher sheds that contact. As far as rush and run skills, the lower half ability to anchor and power, that's going to be a key for every position you watch in football, but also the quickness and burst off the line of scrimmage. If they want to rush the quarterback, they have to be good in that area too. Let's flip things over to the offensive side of the ball, the interior offensive line for the Dolphins, a big area of need. And this group is loaded in this particular game. We'll start it off first with Michael Dieter from Wisconsin. He is 6'6", 3'10", just really a great looking prospect. He is athletic. He is strong. He has good hand placement, probably more of a zone concept type of guy. And the best part about him, I read this from the Draft Network, he is fantastic at picking up stunts and games up front, which is something the Dolphins have struggled with for a long, long, long time. 
Number two here on the list, Chris Lindstrom from Boston College, 6'4", 310. Probably more suited for a mauling gap manpower scheme. He is consistent, always available and scheme diverse. He is a quick transition into the league as an early starter. So maybe one of those guys in the second round you can draft and plug and play. He is technically sound with strong hands and the movement skills also to get out in space. Number three, Garrett Bradbury from North Carolina State, six foot three, 300 pounds. The theme at this position, I've been talking about it for the last two guys, is technical aptitude. And this guy is in there as well. As some of these guys kind of lose that art of blocking and technicalities in the college game as pace and tempo are more focused on these days. But he was a former tight end, has a fluid lower half, but did not sacrifice movement when he added the weight to kick inside to play offensive line. So Garrett Bradbury, number four, Elgton Jenkins from Mississippi State. He is 6'4", 313. He has played all over the offensive line and he could be the center as he is really operationally functional against stunts and twists and games up front, the things that have killed Miami. He is probably most best suited for a zone blocking scheme. I think he can get out in space and do things that way as well. So look for Jenkins to be a prospect at center as well as at guard. And fifth and last on this list is Drew Samia from Oklahoma. He is six foot five, 303, played tackle guard and center for the Oklahoma Sooners in his four years there. Again, he can pick up games and anchor against the rush. And he is extremely athletic and able to get out in space in the run game and on screens like they did all the time at Oklahoma. So this group of offensive linemen are very, very stout. And when you watch these guys, keep an eye on their pad level, their waistband, their ability to absorb contact and maintain the balance. When I talk about waistband, watch their knees. If they can bend at the knees opposed to their waist and they kind of go head over heels, that's not good. You want to see guys that can bend at the knees. So they have a tough time in some of these one-on-one drills that tend to make pass rushers look better, but the initial stance and ability to strike the rusher with their hands, their initial hand placement, that's one thing you want to keep an eye on. So those are the offensive linemen to keep an eye on. Again, there are plenty more names at each of these position groups. These are just the ones that I picked from prototype and my own personal preferences. We've gone over quarterbacks, edge defenders, and now interior offensive linemen. We have a few more to get to. This has gone on a little bit longer than I anticipated. So we're going to finish up the senior bowl preview on the other side, including a question How do you get over that loss on Sunday if you're a Saints fan? All of that after these words here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Winkler NFL at Locked On Fins. Two more defensive positions to talk about. A few more players I want to get to. We're going to jump right in here and talk about the interior defensive line as the Dolphins are going to have to put more bodies in that spot. I just don't think that Vincent Taylor and Devon Godshaw alone are going to be enough. They need more depth. They need more guys with power. They need more guys that can play multiple positions. And the first one I look at is a Shrine Game star, a guy that got elevated to the Senior Bowl, Dalen Mack out of Texas A&M, a squatty body at 6'1", 320. He can dictate the point of attack but he also has the quickness to play two-gap, which is something the Dolphins are going to have to do this coming year. And two-gapping opposed to playing with sheer quickness and knifing into the backfield is more about size and strength and anchor points to be able to dictate the point of attack and then shed off in either direction and make your play that way. He was a five-star recruit out of high school. I said made that jump from the Shrine game up to the Senior Bowl. He could play two-tech. He could play the nose. He could play two-eye or three-tech. He could play anywhere on this defensive line. That's why I like him. Number two in Alabama defensive lineman Isaiah Bugs. He is 6'4", 290. Probably more of a five-tech in 
this new front, but he has mitts that are like rocks that he can punch you with, a powerful base to help set the edge in the run game. He played under Nick Saban, which means he is pretty instinctive and can recognize and defeat leverage. A very violent guy and built like a house of bricks that could play immediately on this defensive line. So those are two of the guys to keep an eye on, Isaiah Bugs and Dylan Mack. On the secondary, I have two guys listed, a cornerback and a safety. The first one, and I am going to totally butcher this because I haven't actually heard his name pronounced. He is the Penn State cornerback, 6'1", 204, Amani Ray. <laughs> that was terrible. But anyway, he's lengthy, rangy, has terrific ball skills. He can play in a cover three with press, something I really wanted to keep an eye on as far as what these prospects do well. Press corners in zone with instincts to make plays on the ball, a natural ball tracker and natural hands once the ball comes his way. So keep an eye on him, the Penn State corner. Number two, a safety, Nasir Adderley. Everybody seems to be on this guy from Delaware. He is 5'11", 200 pounds, played tons of single high at Delaware and was so rangy, sideline to sideline, kind of held that defense together. So keep an eye on him to possibly be maybe a dime third safety to add to Rashad Jones, Minka Fitzpatrick, a guy that can do more sideline to sideline work while Minka plays in that slot and Jones plays down inside the box. And as far as these defensive backs go and how to scout them particularly or specifically, I should say, you want to look for the hips and how smooth they are changing directions. This type of stuff tends to weed out the stiff guys that can't move and aren't fluid enough to play at the next level. Again, you have to be an elite prospect to get this stuff done. And this stuff will always expose those guys that are not. Some other names here outside of those five positions I gave you to keep an eye on. Running back from Michigan, Karan Higdon. Wide receiver from South Carolina, Debo Samuel. And West Virginia, David Sills. All three of those guys could be high draft picks this coming April. Tight end Drew Sample out of Washington and the offensive tackle out of Washington State, Andre Dillard. I put him up there because I've seen a lot of his game, but I don't know how well it translates. A lot of these offensive linemen at Washington State are aided in their production because of the offense. And frankly, I really don't think any of the individual parts out here at Wazoo are all that special in what they do. So We'll keep an eye on that. Plenty of guys to keep an eye on at these practices at the game on Saturday. Plenty of scouting notes for you guys. And like I keep talking about, we're going to have daily practice updates here on the podcast, as well as who the Dolphins have met with in private as far as getting themselves in front of these prospects and putting them through some of the blackboard stuff and the testing stuff with the Dolphins organization. So plenty more to come this week on the Senior Bowl. And now we've had about 48 hours to digest that awful, awful call on Sunday that led to the Saints season prematurely coming to an end and it begs the question how the hell do you get over a loss like that one that the Saints just had I really don't know that you ever do I mean I remember the 2013 season that loss against the Jets at the end of the year fully expected them to win that game comfortably and they did not they got beat down in the other direction I never miss a chance to watch football games and after I left the place where I watched that game and got back home I didn't watch the late games that day, just sat in bed and watched Netflix and sulked. I actually recall the Packers and Bears were playing for the NFC North crown, and that's something I would usually be all about, but I just could not get myself up to give a damn in that game. I was deflated from all things football. A similar story back in 2008 when they got smoked at home in the playoffs to the Ravens. I didn't think they were going to really control that game. I thought they had a chance in that game, but the late game on that Sunday was Minnesota versus someone else. I can't recall specifically. I want to say it was Philadelphia in that late game Sunday afternoon. I had it on, but I really wasn't paying attention because football had kicked me so hard that I couldn't get myself to watch the other games. I imagine Saints fans aren't going to want to watch the Super Bowl. I think it would be hard for me 
to want to watch that. I just, I think that after you see that happen, I don't know how you get yourself to come up and watch that game that you should be in. And while it has sucked being a Dolphins fans for a long, long, long time now, I don't know if that trade-off for that, for the Minneapolis miracle, or even maybe the Falcons blown lead in the Super Bowl. Really, I really just don't know how you come back from that. I think it would take me the entire offseason to get back into Dolphins football if they lost an elimination game in that way. All right, tomorrow we are going to get back on the pod and recap day one of the Senior Bowl. Again, I'll have practice updates, my own notebook, and all the visits confirmed by Miami for you guys. I also have an interview in my back pocket, like the one that we had with Chris Richard from the Dallas and Seahawks writers themselves except this time it's for an official coach Jim Caldwell we'll hear about that this week sometime not sure when but you will but as for this podcast that is my time and if you guys have a smart speaker remember you can hear the Locked On Dolphins podcast by telling your smart speaker to play Locked On Dolphins podcast also be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts leave us a rating leave us a review check out the other Locked On Sports podcast for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins and keep up to date on our Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.